And we're back on the podcast asking the question, what does the Bible say about that? Pastor Phil, so great to be back with you. Yeah, I got my money on my mind and my mind on my money. Oh, I don't know, but I, I believe that is from the great philosopher Snoop Dogg. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Right up there with Socrates and um, Billy Joel. And important that we point out that's dog with a D-O-double-G. That's right. Okay, well, now that we have digressed on the podcast, we got a lot of great things to talk about today. But first, man, a great weekend. Uh, very sweet with lots of treats. Is that right? Too much. Uh, my life group purchased probably about half dozen desserts, and we meet on Sunday nights at my house. And probably by about 7 p.m. on Sunday night, we were all in a sugar coma for life group. Part of me is um, sad that I, I missed it this weekend, but there's part of me that's also kind of glad, too, because, you know, it's uh, it's good for my diet that I missed it. But a uh, great cause. Obviously, those funds uh, go towards um, our, our youth and students uh, and children helping to provide scholarships for camps and things like that. So awesome um, to be part of that uh, here at Crossgate. But we also have some uh, Elevate weekends coming up the next two weekends, our women going first and then the men. So lots of great ministry touch points and opportunities going on in the life of our church. Super Bowl Sunday for the men and the women, for sure. Absolutely. And so hope that we'll get those last minute registrations going and uh, that we'll see God move in a big way uh, in the coming weeks. So let's talk about this week's topic, asking the question, what does the Bible say about money? Uh, as you alluded to uh, so aptly at the beginning. Um, and honestly, if we're being honest, Phil, you said that the Bible talks a lot about money. Um, and I think you said that um, Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined. Uh, that that kind of blew me away uh, when you said that. But um, why is there such an emphasis on money in the Bible? Well, first of all, Keith, uh, you know, when we think about money just in life today, uh, it's the lowest common denominator. I mean, everybody is thinking about money, pretty much everybody uh, of all ages. I mean, my eight-year-old son already thinks about money. Now, he doesn't understand the value of it, but he sure wants more of it. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily true about gambling or uh, alcohol or dating and sex or, or any of the other topics that were even politics that we're talking about in the series. But everybody thinks about money. Now, when I say Jesus talks so much about money, it wasn't as though he was specifically uh, teaching about money in every instance. But what he was doing was he was using money and wealth as an illustration of a deeper spiritual truth. Uh, and, and, and the reason why he did that is because he knew that if he talked in terms of money, he'd have everybody's attention, right? Nothing's changed 2,000 years later. But I think the reason why he talks so much about it, the deeper spiritual truth is that how we use our wealth reveals so much about what's going on in our hearts, probably more than almost anything else. So that's why I believe the Bible talks so much about money. Yeah, that, that's a great point, and I appreciate you um, making that clear that, um, like you said, it's the lowest common denominator. It's kind of a universal language. Everyone understands um, you know, when, when we talk about money. So you said that the way that we spend our money uh, reflects the condition of our hearts. Can you provide some examples of how that is true? What, what exactly does that mean? Well, first of all, obedience is the highest form of worship. Uh, you know, how well we sing in church is not the highest form of worship or anything else. It's obedience to the Lord. And God certainly has laid out some priorities in the Scripture for how we are to use our wealth. Uh, God requires and demands and asks of His people 
uh, for the first fruits, for us to take the first and the best of what we have and give it back to him. That's a principle. Now, that's not talking about percentages or amounts or anything. That's just a principle to take the first and the best, not the crumbs and the leftovers, because God truly deserves our best. So there, there is a mandate there in the Scripture. There's priorities for all of us. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. Uh, and so there are, there are priorities in the Scripture to obey regarding our wealth, not just in terms of returning a portion back to God, but loving other people. Right? Some, somebody has said, and this people have repeated this for many years, that the acronym J-O-Y, joy, stands for Jesus, others, and you. The problem in our world is that we tend to want to spend on ourselves first, and if there's anything left over, if there is anything left over, okay, we'll give that to God. Here's a great example. You know, I've, I've done a lot of ministry to men over the years, military men, soldiers, and so forth, and, and even in the local church as well. And one of the principles I've, I've noticed over the years is that one of the ways that you know if a man's faith is real is when he's willing to put God ahead of his women and his money, right? I mean, if, if, if I challenged a guy about his, his relationships with women, dating relationships, what have you, and I begin to truly put he, see him put God's priorities ahead of his relationship with that woman so that his relationship with the woman is impacted by his priorities on God— that's when I know he's got the real deal. Same thing with money, right? I mean, when a man begins to truly put God ahead of his money and what he wants to do with his money, he says, no, what does God want to do with this money? That's when I know, okay, this guy's got the real deal, right? And so it, it is a, a huge indicator of what's going on in our hearts. Yeah, and, and that reminds me of, you know, what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there where your heart Heartbeat is. also, yes. Also, yeah, a great point. But, you know, Phil... I think about those, these passages in the Bible uh, where we see stories like the rich young ruler or Jesus' words about a rich person entering the kingdom of God being like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Um, does the Bible teach that it's wrong for a Christian to desire, to pursue, or to acquire wealth? Um, even if some might say, well, I, I want to acquire wealth so that I can give more to the church or to the kingdom. Well, sure. I mean, God weighs the motives of the heart. God understands the motives. Uh, and certainly I would ask a person, what's your motive, right, for uh, this, this pursuit of wealth uh, and so forth? I, I know Dave Ramsey likes to talk about the fact that, uh, you know, you should, you should make all you can so you can give as much as you can away, you know, that type of thing. You know, one of the passages in the Bible that talks so much about wealth that I did not include in the message only because I couldn't include everything is the famous passage from 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6, where Paul the Apostle says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these will we, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then here's probably the first or second most wrongly or misquoted verse in the entire Bible, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What I tend to see, Keith, and, and you've seen this too, is uh, we'll see a young couple actively engaged in church, and they're faithful in serving, they're faithful in attending, they're faithful in in you know participating in biblical community, 
But then maybe they get into their late 30s, maybe early 40s. They start to get a little financial traction. And now all of a sudden they've got some, some money, some, some discretionary money, and you don't see them as much. Because now they're going off on trips and they're going off on vacations, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they're, they're going away so frequently that this wealth has allowed them to pursue other things than, than a consistent, faithful relationship with the Lord, quite frankly. Right? Here's another verse I didn't hit. Again, so many that I could have included. Psalm 62, verse 10. Psalm 62, verse 10 says, Though riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And the challenge is that uh, we tend to be about as faithful as options we have. right? And so the, you know, the, the cynic would say, Well, these people are going to church all the time because they don't have enough money to go out and have fun anywhere else. right? Well, Psalm 62, 10 says, Even if you gain wealth... Don't set your heart on them. That's a great warning. Yeah, and it, it sounds like kind of what you're saying and what the Bible is alluding to is that money or wealth is a means um, of pursuing the desires of your heart. And if obviously if those desires are Christ and His kingdom, um, our money is going to go towards that. But maybe it's comfort, um, as you mentioned, folks taking uh, you know you know vacations or whatnot or. Not that there's anything wrong with that, or maybe that is security. I know I know folks who they acquire wealth and they just want more of it because it brings security. Yes. Um, so uh, great, great point there. So speaking of couples that you mentioned, you talk some about marriage and the importance of being on the same page with finances in marriage. Is it okay for one spouse to manage the finances? Or you said specifically that married couples should not have separate bank accounts. Can you speak a little more to that? Well, first of all, you know, in a broader in a broader way, marriage truly is supposed to be about a union of communication, right? We talked about union, uh, certainly with the finances, but that's just a subset of the bigger the bigger uh, point of the fact that truly the Bible says that when a man and a woman become husband and wife, the two shall become one flesh. There should be a transparency on all levels. Now, finances, obviously you need that. And let's face it, I mean, more people, especially under the age of 30, get divorced because of money issues than anything else. And so it's so important to cultivate this transparency. Uh, no, it's not, it's not wrong if, if one spouse manages uh, all the finances. Uh, that's kind of where, I mean, I'm kind of the details guy. I mean, I've got the spreadsheets. I've got all the little things written down. I'm tracking all the little aspects of what goes in and comes out. I count all the beans in my, in my home. But at the same time, as I mentioned, even on Sunday morning, Shara and I will sit down probably once every two to three months and just say, okay, this is exactly where we're at, right? And if something happens to me tomorrow, she has at least enough awareness of what's going on. She could pull that spreadsheet out and say, okay, this is, this is where we're at, right? Um, so, yes, I think one spouse, usually one spouse, is going to be a little more gifted in the area or they'll have the time or the mental bandwidth or whatever uh, to devote to kind of counting the beans on a daily basis. But at the same time, there's got to be this level of transparency. Now, obviously, I did not say that having separate bank accounts, for example, is wrong or, you know, uh, you're in sin if you have separate bank accounts. I just, I said, I certainly don't recommend it. I don't think that's a good idea at all. Only because you need a couple needs to do everything they can do to develop unity and not take away from it. Uh, and there's a lot of things we talked about there, but again, it's it's all part of the broader issue of uh, transparency. And I I would be willing to wager if I was a wagering man 
that if there was a couple that insisted on having separate bank accounts, they've probably got other issues as well. They're probably not communicating on a number of different levels. Yeah, I would agree with that. And just some great practical advice um, here and back in the message. So I appreciate that. Well, if you know, when we talk about money, Phil, sometimes people get a little nervous and they say, well, you know, the church talks about money. They just want us to give all of our money to the church and not have anything. That's not at all what we're saying. And you said that God wants us to enjoy the things that he's created. And that means it's okay to spend money on things that we enjoy. You mentioned vacations, you know, time away, things like that. But is there a point where we can take that too far? Um, and if so, how do we find a healthy balance between, yes, enjoying life, uh, but also being responsible with our money? So here's a continuum uh, that applies to every area of life. The bad, the good, and the best, right? The bad being anything that God just explicitly and specifically prohibits in the Bible. So when we think about how we're going to spend our money, we need to ask ourselves, am I spending it on something bad that God doesn't want me to spend money on and God doesn't want my money going in this direction at all, okay? And again, there, there's room for some conviction there. We've already talked about in this series the difference between something that's very clearly spelled out in the Scripture and something that's a matter of conviction. But generally speaking, there are some things that God definitely doesn't want us putting our money toward, and I would call that bad. Then there's some things that God wants us to put our money toward that I would consider to be good, right? Taking a family vacation, uh, you know, within our means, uh, you know, enjoying uh, go, having a getaway or eating in a restaurant or whatever, right? I mean, there's just there's things that are good out there. But then there's also things that are best. The things that are best in life are the things where we are investing in eternity, investing in relationships uh, from an eternal perspective, uh, and, and that type of thing. And so God has, again, we've already talked about this. God says, put your money into the best things first and then into the good things. And the old saying goes that I've shared with our people many times is this, the good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things, right? And so, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a vacation. One of my sons and I were having a conversation just the other day about him wanting to buy some new sunglasses because he didn't like the ones that he had. And I was like, what's wrong with the ones that you have? Well, they're just not this, they're just not that. I said, okay, that's fine. You know what? God wants you to enjoy what, you, what you've earned because he's got a job and he's making some money. I said, but let me ask you this. Before you blow money on new sunglasses, how are you doing on returning back to the Lord a portion of what he's given you through your job? Long pause, right? And so I said, here's the deal, man. You need to make sure that you're paying God first and then paying yourself through setting some aside for savings or whatever. And then absolutely go get yourself some new sunglasses if you want to, right? That, that's kind of how it works. But again, if, if the sunglasses, which are fine and nice and, and all of that, if they are in any way preventing him from first giving back to God and putting his money towards what's best, guess what? Now those sunglasses have become a bad thing. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And as you were, it reminded me, you know, we talk some in the message about debt and the things that the Bible has to say about, you know, some of the cautions there. Um, would definitely encourage our listeners to go back and check that out if they haven't listened to the message. But would you say that you could apply that same continuum when we're considering, you know, making a purchase and in, in going into debt? You know, is this bad, good, or what's the best case scenario? Well, so we kind of laid this out in the message uh, in terms of the kind of debt that you should avoid at all costs. So honestly, I said there's nothing wrong with credit cards per se, but if you're carrying a balance from month to month to month, 
I personally would say stay away from that at all costs. If, if, you, if you have to put something on a credit card that you can't pay off by the end of the month, I mean, you're, that, that I, would, I would say avoid that as much as possible uh, because all you're doing is you're paying 22, 25, however much percent to the credit card companies. And oftentimes, you know, it's very difficult to get out of that, especially with minimum payments. I said, uh, you know, a, a loan on a car, okay, I see where that is necessary for a lot of situations. But you must certainly never take something on beyond what you can reasonably pay back. I mean, again, I said 20% of all uh, new car loans these days are over $1,000 a month. It's insane. Now, if you, if you make a million dollars a year, you can probably afford $1,000 a month, right? But it has to be reasonable. I talked about, uh, you know, mortgage, uh, you know, your, your, your home mortgage, again, within reason. That's probably one of the few ways you can borrow money as a, as a regular person and actually make some money off of your off of your loan. So okay, there's there's some goodness there, and commercial debt very similar. But you have to be uh, using it within reason. And again, I stand by what I said that for me personally, I see a credit card as a loaded firearm, and I'm going to treat it just as carefully as I would a loaded firearm because I know what can happen with a credit card if you don't handle it carefully. Yeah, a lot of wisdom there. Uh, so thank you so much. Well, we are almost out of time for today, but before we go, we got one more question. And, you know, I think we agree that the Bible speaks a lot about Christians being generous with their money, um, even going beyond the requirements of the Old Testament law. Um, how should we think about the local church when it comes to our giving? Uh, because, you know, there are some folks who say, well, I give to specific needs like parachurch organizations or community nonprofits, sponsoring a child, feeding the homeless, helping individuals that are in a tough spot. How does the local church play into our generosity as Christians? Well, first of all, man, that's a great question because there are a lot of very worthy uh, organizations and ministries to which we can give our money and, con and contribute and support. Uh, Sharon and I support two or three different things at, well outside of, of Crossgate Church. But I truly believe that the local church is God's main effort uh, on the earth and has been ever since Jesus came uh, and will be until Jesus comes again. Uh, again, I, I mean, I was a, a military chaplain for many years, lots of good things going on in, uh, with military ministries, but you know, nothing will ever replace the local church here on the earth. So in the Old Testament, you had the model of giving tithes and offerings, first and foremost, bringing them to the tabernacle or bringing them to the temple and supporting the work of God there in a literal sense, because that's where God dwelt in a very real way. He said, you know, bring this to my house. Bring it to the storehouse, Malachi chapter 3, that my house will be full and, and so forth. I mean, that you were, they were supporting the work of the Levites. They were supporting the work of the, of the temple and so forth. Well, we now have the body of Christ. We're all part of the body of Christ. We call our local congregations um, bodies of believers. And I truly believe that, that the body of Christ in that God dwells inside of us as we gather together especially, uh, you know, that, that has replaced the, the temple and the tabernacle and so forth. And so I believe that the local church is the priority in terms of where we give back to the Lord. Uh, and then once we've done that, you know, even if we want to use the tithes and offerings model, right, which not in a legalistic sense, but just as a model of the fact that, yes, here's this, this first and best uh, portion that we're going to return back to God and to, the, to his local church. And then, yes, there are other opportunities with our offerings that we can support. Uh, you know, adopting and sponsoring a child, uh, Compassion International, or or any any number of nonprofits or, or parachurch organizations. The challenge in our culture today is that of the people who are being generous, 
they're giving a greater percentage of their of their gifts to these parachurch organizations and a and a smaller percentage of it to the local church. Yeah, that's a great point. And man, what a blessing to be part of a local body of believers. I can't uh, begin to tell you how God has used that context in my life. I literally changed my life uh, by His grace. And so, Amen. so thankful for the local church. Hey, well, we are out of time for today, Pastor Phil. Thank you so much uh, for your time today. Some great insights and looking forward to a very easy and comfortable subject next week as we ask, what does the Bible say about politics? Yes, making preaching great again. <laughs> That's right. Well, hey, thanks so much. Have a great one. You too, Keith. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.